Welcome to Wealthy Experts, where we interview experts in their field so that we can learn all the best ways, tools, and tips that they use to build a wealthy life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another Wealthy Podcast. And this week, we have the lovely and bright Eliza Owen, the Head of Research at CoreLogic Australia. Eliza, it's always good having you on the show. We always have many, many requests for you to jump on, talk to us, and give us your insights. I read your reports week to week when they come out, and I find them extremely valuable. So thank you again. Oh, no, that's great. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to come on the show and um, looking forward to some good questions. Yeah, well, I mean, nothing crazy today. I mean, it's, it's, I think we've got enough of a crazy market just to kind of jump <laughs> into that, really. Um, you know, it's, it feels like there are a lot of dynamic things happening in the market that could really influence the price of property, that can really influence buyer demand. And I'm interested to kind of get, I guess, some of your broad sweeping strokes or, or, or um, ideas about what's been happening recently and kind of what the market looked like coming into this year. Yeah, it's been a really surprising month, actually. Um, for all the talk of a slowdown in growth rates in 2022, our January results kind of surprised to the upside. So nationally, home values were up 1.1%, which is a pretty strong growth rate compared to the historic average anyway. But it was also higher than the 1% result we saw in December. And within that, five of the eight capital cities, including Melbourne, which had seen its first decline in December for a while, actually had this kind of re-acceleration in their growth rate. We've also seen kind of corroborating numbers between housing finance, um, the first preliminary clearance rate of the year, which was fairly strong at about 68% uh, for, for our biggest auction market, Melbourne. And so uh, to me, it suggests this kind of temporary um, exuberance, maybe coming off the back of lockdowns in late 2021. And I think also because we're starting to see average mortgage rates rise, in the short-term fixed space, that might be causing a little bit of uh, a rush in, in the market and people really wanting to get in before there are more substantial rises, lock in their low fixed rates. Um, so not quite what I was expecting for the January results, but I think I still think it's a temporary uh, condition. And I think that overall, I'd still expect growth rates to slow right down in 2022. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because we do anticipate a slowdown, but there is still a lot of growth. Brisbane has been growing extremely well, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've had their best performing month or quarter. Um, and many of the, the states or cities are experiencing all-time highs, except for um, I believe it's Perth and it's just yeah. there is still a bit of exuberance there and as you said it might be people um, looking to lock in rates and kind of make because those those long term or the, the fixed rates are starting to go up um, mm. off the back of the most recent comments from the RBA and the fact that you know we're probably going to see some rate rises in the next three six ish months 
Um, what, what, what kind of impacts do you think we're going to see as a result of that or changes in the RBA's tone? Yeah, so I mean, just to your point as well around that kind of um, divergence in market growth, that's absolutely true. We've seen a real slowdown in growth rates on uh, Sydney and, and Melbourne figures, but Adelaide and Brisbane continue to accelerate. And I think a lot of that speaks to the affordability situation in some of the other capital cities. So we're in a position now where over January, December, uh, sorry, January saw median house prices across Melbourne hit the million dollar mark for the first time. Canberra is sitting at a million dollars for a typical house price. And of course, Sydney is now up at around 1.4. So when it comes to an area like Brisbane, where a typical house value is about 40% less than what we're seeing in Sydney, I think it makes a lot of sense that there would be interstate buyer demand. Um, in terms of what's happening with the RBA, obviously, it's been a really interesting start to the year. We saw inflation figures come out, which showed a 3.5% increase in inflation. Um, and that is well ahead of where the RBA thought we would be. It's the same with the unemployment rate. So that tight labor market that contributes to inflation through wage price increases. Um, it, it, uh, the unemployment rate is about a year ahead of where the RBA thought it would be. So all of those factors have meant that the RBA will continue to revise its economic forecast higher, but that also opens the possibility of revising the timing of their cash rate increases. Um, now, I'm probably less of an expert in this area in terms of the interest rate cycles, but what we've seen from major banks like CBA, Westpac, um, they've all started calling that the first rate rise would be potentially late 2022, as early as August, where the RBA would be waiting for a couple more reads on um, uh, wage price data. They'll be looking to see whether that inflation is sustained as well. So a lot of that points to a cash rate rise that could happen as early as August 2022, which is obviously a lot sooner than the RBA had previously signaled around 23 or 24. And ultimately, um, that cash rate and property prices have a consistent inverse relationship. So when the cash rate goes up, property prices can go down. Um, and, and that inverse correlation is, is very strong. It's uh, like 84% over the past decade. And yeah, I think given that household debt levels are so high, people would be particularly sensitive to a rate rise. And in some sense, that does mean opportunities for first-time buyers, people who've been looking to get into the market, they could enjoy some reduced pressure on housing market values. So... There's a lot of interesting things that are coming out of that. And as a property investor, it's important to pay attention to kind of all of those key notes. You know, unemployment rates are coming down, tight labour market, government saying they want to increase or change visa situations to allow for more people to come into the country or at least increase the amount of work hours that they can do. Um, We've recently seen um, the Department of Migration or, or what's the department called? Well, basically they've said, um, yeah, the migration program is basically Department of Home Affairs 
have said that migration numbers will start to increase as much as this year, we might see 100,000, next year, another 200,000 people. And that's all pointing to one thing. And then the fact that as an investor, I look at interest rates going up, that impacts owner occupiers, I'd say the most, whereas investors have the opportunity of increasing rents. And if there's less people buying homes, do you see this trend of increasing rents carrying on through the year and, and maybe even further? Yeah, the, the rental market's a really interesting one because I think that when it comes to capacity to, to pay and affordability, we tend to see that the kinds of people who are renting domestically are those who are younger, um, they might be in more precarious employment situations like in hospitality or the arts. Um, there's data to support that those industries have, you know, people who are more likely to be renters. So there is a kind of limit in, in the ability to pay domestically. But obviously the tightening labour market is going to support incomes to put towards rent. Um, but yeah, it, it is the opening of international borders and those pre-COVID flows of international migration that are going to be the game changer in the rental market. Um, I think, you know, just based on historical data of where migrants um, settle, it is traditionally in inner city, high density uh, rental markets, unit markets. So you'd have to imagine that those would be the rental markets most impacted. Um, but I guess it's also important to consider that maybe the game has changed there too. You know, just like we've seen the embracing of remote work, remote learning, there will be some migrants who, you know, in order to um, pursue citizenship and, and things like that, they're often placed in markets outside of major capital cities. So there might be some regional pockets um, that present opportunity as well. Um, ultimately, the, the, you know, welcoming migrants back into Australia or temporary visitors back into Australia, that's going to be... A, great for the rental market if, if you're an investor. It's it's um, absolutely going to put that upward pressure on rents where overseas arrivals are, you know, renters mostly when they first come here. And, you know, it's a really good point talking about that. But something that I'm picking up from you is there may be, over the past 12 months, we've kind of seen one speed, if you will, aside from sort of Melbourne, most of the markets move together. Do you start to see like a bit of a delineation between different markets and different parts of the market moving separately? So from what I've noticed, uh, the top end of the market starting to soften a little bit. They're normally the first to sort of run off. Um, even same thing with regional markets. They ran off because of COVID. There was a flight to size. Uh, do you see some of these trends or themes shifting in one way or another or, or you know, shifting places? Yeah, so um, I think overseas migration is going to be most supportive of inner city rental markets uh, long term. I think that trend of people looking for larger accommodation, two-bedroom apartments, houses, that's something that's probably going to stick for, for quite a long time. Um, uh, before Omicron, I would have said, you know, people will return to the cities and, and people will 
um, look for, you know, what was more traditionally popular before the pandemic. But for Omicron, the fact that a lot of people are still working from home, that's becoming more entrenched. And so I think it, I think it could well be a long-term trend. Um, so, it, yeah, I think, I think what would uh, probably happen is that strong recovery in the inner city Melbourne rental market off the back of overseas visitation. I think what we are generally seeing in other rental markets, though, is a kind of slowdown in the rate of growth in rents, um, just coming back to affordability constraints. Okay. And what do you think that, do you, do you see any particular opportunities that are emerging in the market as a result of the different shifting tides or the shifting flow of demand and money and labour and, and yeah, what kind of opportunities are you seeing in the market? Well, I, I think the thing to remember is that um, property still remains a very long-term game um, because of the high transactional costs, um, the, you know, relatively long transaction periods as well. So for that long-term view, I still remain very bullish about, you know, Southeast Queensland, Hobart, (laughs) you know, those sort of traditional markets. I also think, um, I'm thinking more, you know, going through this very like warm, despite La Nina, like a a pretty warm period in January in in Sydney. Um, And the fact that that is likely to only get hotter, that gets me thinking more about uh, climate refuge markets as well. So the Blue Mountains of Sydney would be a good example of that, where you get that kind of cooler, more temperate climate. I think Hobart offers a very, or, or Tasmania more broadly, offers a very similar opportunity as well. Um, so from a long-term perspective, I think that those things are really important to keep in mind. Um For the short term, you know, you mentioned the top of the market kind of easing uh, more rapidly, which which is true. We're seeing more buoyancy at kind of the mid and entry level prices of at at the market. And I think that is a result of what I would call spillover during periods of upswing. We typically see the high end of the market move first. And then as people are priced out, they look to the next affordable area. But those things are short term. So by the time those lead lag relationships play out over the course of the cycle, growth can actually be fairly uniform across the whole market. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about timing the short term uh, and think more about those long term factors. If we have embraced remote work, for example, where are the most desirable spots that people will want to be settling long term? And I think it comes back to tree change and sea change, um, climate uh, and, and I guess a level of convenience as well, the ability to still commute to major metropolitan hubs fairly easily. Okay, that's a really good point. I want to talk to you about what you just said there, uh, spillover, that spillover effect. Um, do you think that uh, there, I, I recently got, got asked by a number of people, is now the opportunity for me to be selling something big, waiting a year for the market to crumble and then buying something again? Um, you know, and watching out for those spillover markets to sell my house here and then maybe go and buy a couple of little apartments or townhouses, the suburb over or or, or look for those sort of affordability plays. 
What are, what are your, some of your thoughts about that? I mean, this is short-term market movements we're trying to discuss and people gaming the market. It's not mm. my reference, but... What, what dangerous you, game. Yeah, dangerous <laughs> game. Yeah, I mean, look, for all the, for all the speculation of earlier-than-expected interest rate rises and things like that, we can't, we don't, we don't know what, what is going to happen. What we do know is that if you look at resales of property over time, the largest gains have come from the longest typical hold periods. So I think, again, it comes back to um, property being a safer bet as a longer term investment. And if you are trying to time the market and, and capitalize on growth that would happen in a, a one to two year period, I'd say transaction costs could be quite high and that's something to think about. And just the uncertainty of the short term. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all saying that property prices were going to drop as much as 10% and that never happened. Mm. You don't know, you know, even if we come into this period of, of higher mortgage rates, we don't know what will be announced in the federal budget in March. We don't know um, what uh, election campaigns will we'll deliver in terms of support for first-home buyers and things like that. So uh, I'd, I'd be hesitant to make those kind of short-term moves in property. Um, but I mean, it's the individual choice, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's up to them and, and their kind of strategy, I suppose. Look, I think it's interesting what you're saying there because, you know, we're experiencing a lot of purchases look at the rate saying, yes, they are going to move, but we are at historical lows relative to the long-term cycle of rates. Even if it does move half a percent, I still want to lock it in now. I want to take advantage of what we have in front of us. And that's why I feel like there's still going to be a bit of growth and it won't be this collapse or tumble of a market that some people are predicting. Um, another thing that I'm pretty interested in is that gap between house prices and unit prices, that extraordinary gap. Do you think that that's going to be closing anytime soon or there will be a, it's going to go back to a sort of a normal rate or is this a, you know, a longer term thing? Yeah, good question. I, I think that it probably would close. You know, we talk about the affordability situation and as of January, the house price premium across the capital cities was at this record high of above um, 28% um, in, in house prices above unit prices. Uh, and I, I do think that that would inevitably have to close. You're just going to get people who are priced out of the house market and they will have to pivot towards um, the, the unit market. You know, it does, as you've said before, that kind of density or distance compromise um, that first-term buyers in particular have to look at. Uh, and again, I think if we're looking at welcoming more migration back into Australia, the strength in unit rental markets that would result would probably also feed into valuations as well. So that that should support valuations in the unit market. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Eliza, I know that you're, you're pressed for time. You've probably got another hundred of these uh, <laughs> things to do today. So I, I, won't, I won't take up too much more of your time. I did want to touch on one last thing and, and you, you guys do a great job of reporting on this. And it was around um, sort of 
inventory levels or listings and just the total amount of supply and stock in the market. Um, some of your recent reporting, if I'm going to pull it up very quickly, talks about total listings and the fact that they've remained below, 25% below the five-year average. Um, what are your thoughts on that and, and just total levels of supply coming onto the market? Is this a type of, are we going to be in this constrained environment for a while or do you see something changing there? I actually think, you know, we talk about supply, but a lot of it does come back to demand. So basically what we're seeing in the past few weeks, for example, is that a pretty normal amount of stock is coming to market. So new listings that are being freshly added to the market are being added as a similar rate to, to what they were in the past five years. The reason the total listing situation is in such a deficit is because um, it comes back to that like sales to new listings ratio that, that we've talked about in the past. There are basically more sales happening than for every new listing coming to market. So that's depleting total stock and that comes back to the rate of sales and it comes back to demand. So I think in you know Sydney and Melbourne, we're definitely seeing more normal levels of, of total stock. Um, the, the demand is slowing down a bit and total listings inventory is kind of keeping up. If you look at Brisbane or Adelaide at the moment, um, the, you know, stock levels are around 50% below where they would usually be. So total advertised listings across Brisbane are sitting at about 10,000 where they would typically be 20,000 this time of year, which is extraordinary. And I think contributing to the price momentum in those cities as well. So um, I think it, it's just a matter of when demand starts to ease, um, stock levels will normalise, um, buyers will sense a little less urgency. And again, that's going to come back to things like affordability constraints, interest rate movements. Um, so yeah, I think I, I, it could well start to normalise a bit more over 2022. Okay, last question, I promise. That's uh, <laughs> no, fine. The last question I want to ask you is, around the different speeds in some of the states. And in particular, I want to talk about Perth. I mean, one of our last conversations, you said that, um, you know, in this market, you could do some counter-cyclical investing. And you said, look, Melbourne apartments, there's a lot of supply, Melbourne inner city, but that could be an opportunity because they're cheap relative to everything else. They haven't moved. There's reasons for that. Um, have you got any thoughts about the Perth market or some of the other markets that haven't performed as well as the rest of the states that are leading the pack and kind of why? Mm, yeah, so to be honest, I, I'm not as enthusiastic about the Perth market only because I think it's already experienced its peak for this cycle. If we look at annual rent growth, that peaked um, in late 2021, um, and, and growth rates are now easing. If we look at um, growth rates, they sort of peaked late last year as well. Um, over January, not a bad result, 0.6%, so about middle of the pack in terms of growth rates. The issue I think that, that persists for the WA market more broadly is the uh, limitation on, on border movements, you know? Um, and it is such an affordable city. It's a, it's a beautiful city in many ways with, with some of the opportunities along the coast as well. But I think with border restrictions as they have been, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind almost for, for buyers. Um, so potentially once inter 
uh, interstate borders can flow more freely, um, you know, the return of overseas migration, things like that. Um, there, there could be some opportunity there, but I think just the sheer distance, the fact that it's been closed off for the past couple of years, um, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Okay. And, and do you think that the Melbourne market might have a bit more of a recovery? Because typically it's Brisbane, Sydney doing things together. And this, this last run, Melbourne has been, really hasn't done much for not done much, grew 15 or 16%, but like relative. <laughs> but compared to, yeah, yeah 27%. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think the Melbourne market has uh, a chance to, I think, see a little bit of catch-up growth at the return of overseas migration. Um, it's a, I see it as a bit of a blue chip, you know. It's a large international city on the East Coast, um, and it's uh, it's just one of those things where unfortunately through COVID it's had the double whammy of extended lockdown conditions and it's long been a, a region that's uh, population growth has been supported by overseas migration so international border closures have, have hit as well um, so it's a matter of those factors changing you know vaccination migration um, but Overall, I think it, it will long be a city where a lot of people want to live. Makes sense. Eliza, thank you very much for today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Lots and lots of insights. I walk away um, smarter, if that's a word that I <laughs> Me uh, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I walk away doing more and, and uh, I, I appreciate that and your time. Um, I hope you have a lovely day. For all of you that are out there watching, listening, paying attention, if you have questions for Eliza, let us know. Um, if you agree with us, great. If you don't, I'd like to see why. Um, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Eliza, you have an awesome day and I hope to see and talk to you again soon. Thank you, Dom. You too.